You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. Thank you very much for listening along. We have hit the second quarter of 2021. It's happened so quickly and so are all of the fundamentals of property prices, rentals, sales, uh, commercial, residential, everything's moving. It's a little bit of a crazy time to be a part of property. Positive for a lot and frustrating for a lot more, I think. Uh, Today, we're going to have a chat about market insights, not specifically reporting on the market itself. We've done market updates recently. What I wanted to focus on today was some of the more nuanced insights about how things are going on the ground. And I thought it would be really valuable to get Mike Valletta, Senior Director of CBRE Valuations in Western Australia to come in, have a chat and tell us how life's been on his side and all of the little insights that come out of being a valuer every day in Perth. Thanks for coming in, mate. Thanks, Trent. Um, Much like all property professionals, it's been extremely busy and a shortage of good quality skilled labour. Uh, and we were talking about it before, but also blue-collar and white-collar workers are equally under pressure, particularly if you're involved in the property market at the moment. So what happens to wages when there is a skills shortage? I'm afraid that the blue-collar wages will be going up because there's obviously massive demand for trades, particularly in domestic construction. We know that's a great driver, and so too the state government recognise that it's a great driver from the building homeowners grants from last year and the top-ups that the state government had. So that's had a real desired effect on the market from both developers, builders and domestic trades point of view. When trade prices go up, when people are making more money because there is a shortage and we can't get people from international sources, maybe the British Isles, maybe Southeast Asia, uh, that makes people more wealthy, more money in the pocket. And where are they spending it right now? The great thing about sort of property purchasing is the ability to service a loan and the affordability matter in Western Australia is still Perth is one of the most affordable capital cities across the country. So still very positive. The, the cost of capital, as you know, as we all know, is very cheap. The cost of renting, as you know, is going up. Domestic construction costs are going up, so too are property prices. But effectively, for those people trading up or even trading out, it's a great time in that respect. The only thing, if you're selling in this market and you're buying in the same market, so you're not really benefiting a great deal. But obviously, for those vendors that are, have the ability now to sort of cash out, it's a perfect time. A year and a bit ago, a lot of the big banks, a lot of the big uh, commentators were saying that Perth's property prices might increase by a couple of percent or might even drop due to COVID. Now we've had ANZ last week come in saying that not only is it a 12% increase they're expecting this year, now they're revising to a 19% increase this year. Do you find this to be overs, unders, realistic? Where do you think things will be at the end of the year or has it already moved by 19% already? Interesting trend because I know our research people at CBRE have predicted a 10 to 12% growth in Perth property prices. It's very hard to generalise though because we've got so many different markets. We've got prestige markets which are, without a doubt have reflected much more than 10% growth even throughout the course of this year. We have outer markets which are starting to grow. We have land markets we're in demand. Uh, we have apartment markets that are made up of sort of standard two by twos, 50 square metre which are still relatively affordable. And then we have uh, luxury sort of apartments where there's down, downsizes moved into and they're in reasonable levels of demand. Across the board, I don't see any 
any problems with sort of 10 to 12% and ANZ predicting 19%. Without a doubt in some markets, it's certainly possible. I think that already has happened. You look at places in the Western suburbs, in the last four or five months, we've seen 20% growth. It's ridiculous. Houses are selling for a million dollars more than they were back in September yep. for a very like-for-like product. Uh, but as you've noted very clearly that it is not just one homogenous product right, yep. that we sell in Western Australia. We have all these different types of products and as much as there might be properties that sell for 25, 30% more than they were year on year by the end of this year, there are also properties that won't see much growth at all. I'm looking at a suburb right now, uh, just in my general research, Lockridge. Cheap old Lockridge in the back of Morley and Beachborough there hasn't seen any growth whatsoever in the last six months. So that's obviously at the bottom of the scale in terms of price, but it's also at the bottom of the scale in terms of desirability as a suburb. Can you comment a bit more on, on the dispersion of demand? Yeah, yeah it is. And, and I think it's a real factor in the rental market as well. And we sort of talked about, well, we're on the back end of the moratorium now. So the big question is in terms of how will rents rise? And to be honest, I, I think that, and I'll get back to the Lockridge and the outer suburbs, but... Effectively, uh, I think a lot of landlords have factored this in and all new leases have taken up the new market rents anyhow throughout the course of the past 12 months as those existing leases that will be challenged. Having said that, all of those rents throughout the course of the past 12 months, knowing full well there's a moratorium, you would expect and hope if there's job security and wage growth that some of those tenants have obviously saved for that sort of increase in rents, which no doubt that will happen. So that will be a challenge for them. But I think once we get out to the Lockridges and some of the eastern suburbs, regardless of how landlords push rents, it still comes down to an affordability issue. So if a tenant can't afford to pay a rent, whether it be in Lockridge or outer eastern suburbs, they, they simply can't afford to pay it. So that creates a further social housing issue that obviously we, we need to deal with and state government are very well aware of that. So um, regardless of where we're pushing rents, there needs to be someone that needs to be able to pay that rent. I think in desirable locations, much like in buying property, in renting property also you'd like to be in a desirable location. So that's where the majority of the impact will be. So you're noting to me there's a bit of a demand cliff where there's a whole bunch of demand right in the areas we all generally want to live and it, that trickles down but then it gets to a point where even if there is demand at certain levels there isn't an increase in affordability people who are at the bottom end of the scale in terms of their finances who have probably been maybe not doing it tough but you know, possibly doing it tough or certainly not as good as a lot of us saving in the last 12 months they just don't have the ability to pay anymore uh, regardless of the fact that the market is moving i think that's right and and I guess the saying is a rising tide, everyone will be picked up on a rising tide. And that to a degree is, is the case. But you're right, I think once you get to a level where, you know, if, if people simply can't afford to pay that rent or can't afford to buy that property, um, regardless of uh, how they rise or fall, um, there is a cliff in many respects in terms of a cutoff. There'll be um, a few beach whales is what you're telling me. Uh, there is. And, and I think a challenge of a, of a growing market like we are, particularly rapidly growing as we're in, it, it does widen the gap between the have and the have-nots. And mm. that becomes a real challenge uh, once again, which the government are fully aware of, I'm sure, in terms of Department of Communities providing enough resources and capital and, and products for people to move into. Exactly right. We spoke off air about the pros and cons of a capitalist market. And whilst we are in a capitalist society, it's not a perfect system. Uh, there needs to be some socialist functions within a capitalist society to look after those who are left behind. And right now, when things are moving so quickly, there are more and more people that are being left behind, whether it's because they are too young to have saved a deposit 
closet or they made a couple of bad decisions in the last uh, five to 10 years. Um, these people are people who just aren't seeing the same benefits in values and equity as the rest of us owning property in the first 20 kilometers of the city. Eventually that does filter out. It has to just from cheap credit and also people getting pushed further and further out for the money that they've got. They, they then start considering a, a beach bro. They start considering Eden Hill and then they consider a Lockridge. It just happens mm. over time. But right now, uh, because things have moved so quickly in that first 20Ks, there is a widening gap. And what it does lead to, as you said, is a requirement for social housing, which we have a massive problem with. Uh, we just do not have enough of it. We haven't been building enough of it. And the government generally has actually been getting rid of a lot of social housing and selling it off to developers, moving it out 40 kilometers from the city. That's not to say that people want to live out in Banksy Grove or mm. back end of Byford. Let's not forget around the corner, MetroNet will also be a, a real game changer, I think, in terms of densities around um, transport hubs. So I would imagine the Department of Communities are well aware of that and they will certainly look to provide some higher density sort of living around those transport nodes, particularly around railway systems. So there are some game changes along the way, which the state government are now are challenged with, and they've certainly released in terms of their Metronet plans. So And there's work already commenced on that. So let's not forget some of those um, shifters in many respects will have an impact on our housing supply. Are you concerned about any house price movements in the outer suburbs, given that there's not a big push in demand against supply in those areas, but prices are moving a little bit in those new house and land estates. Is that because we're seeing better fundamentals or is it because we're just seeing cheaper credit? Same, same again. Uh, people tend to move out to areas where they can afford. As a young person, I was able to sort of buy in a more sort of central location of an Osmond Park and a house on a reasonable size block. Now going into the property market, you've got to reduce your sites to potentially a strata and potentially an, an outer market in many respects. But effectively the, the value of property has increased at a rapid rate over a period of time since then in many respects and it's sort of priced the first home buyer out of the market so hence they've obviously had to go into the outer suburbs and sometimes the attractiveness for them is the house and land packages but as we've seen probably last year um, the established outer market has been suffering a little bit but particularly the start of this year and late last year we started to get some really good growth in those areas so th those were, were venturing into the house and land packages are starting to now start to see some better value for money other than having to wait the period of time to get the construction out of the ground and to be finished there certainly are some benefits in that because our outer established market is seeing some growth and demand well especially given how costly construction is becoming for people especially if they haven't been eligible for the grants there's the house next door that's two years old that's 20 percent cheaper than the house and land package they could have gotten yep so if if they're not needing to have that brand new house they can go for a two-year-old house next door they're getting a real bargain in a lot of ways yep many respects those bargains are starting to diminish but um, six months ago for sure trent they were getting uh, good value for money in the established housing markets but as we touched on earlier, I think uh, a lot of people in those outer markets are starting to offload their product. And one of the triggers is that they're probably trying to realise the money back that they got or they purchased or speculated back in 2013 to 2015. And as soon as they've hit that same level of value, they've offloaded them. And they're they're so they're, out. That's right. They're out of there cutting their losses in many respects or cutting even at, um, at best. Have you noticed that a lot of the properties in the last 90 days to come to the market on the market have not been the greatest quality. They've been properties next to the corner lots with weird dimensions. They've been properties of slope. They've been properties that haven't been looked after or maintained very well. Properties with very expensive uh, and overgrown landscaping to cut back. 
Uh, it just seems that a lot of the stuff that's going to market is the junk that people haven't been able to get rid of for the last five years. Yeah, Trent, I haven't seen as many sold stickers on highway houses for a long time, probably since 2006 to 2007. When that's I a really call. good example. Yeah, yeah and, and, and that's exactly right. In terms of location, people are buying where they can get into a suburb, including up along Canning Highway as I sort of travel from Canning, Canning Bridge down to Fremantle. There's, there's still lots of sales along those sort of major roads. Morley Drive. Morley Drive. I've recently seen it in the last few months where properties have transacted on Morley Drive. It's a great barometer for me because it's not a great place to be uh, living on. It's very loud, very busy. Uh, and generally, you won't find people want to live there. But the last few months, a lot of transactions have been happening on Morley Drive. Yep. The fear of missing out is a great fear for many buyers thinking, well, the question is, when will this market soften or slow? And we all have different views on that. As a value, we tend to be a little conservative in our view. We tend to look in the revision mirror more so than forward as opposed to agents in many respects. But I, I, I think there's still a lot of life left in our market at the moment, particularly. And I think it was the September period we saw a decrease in net overseas migration, not surprisingly, because obviously we're not letting people in. Yet a lot of people, particularly expats, as you would have recorded, are buying properties unseen through the internet, through, I'm not sure about buyer's agents in terms of how strong they are, but I think they're still buying because there's a significant demand. I think agents uh, would have a whole list of buyers, people that are looking for properties, particularly in the prestige or better established areas. So as we've seen buying days or selling days sort of diminish to about 21, uh, I think it's a little artificial because I'd say a lot of those properties are selling off market so next to no selling days so that means essentially they've sold it off market and for the agent to get the listing a uh, little stat against their name they'll put it on the market for three seconds and it's under offer it appears that way um, and i know i've been out doing valuations in the last six months which is a little unusual to be on the on the road and talking to agents seven days ten days is not unusual one home open two home opens is not unusual you know and then i'm talking about even down through your rockinghams and you sort of southern beaches areas as well not just in your sort of inner city areas so strong demand as it moves out through rockingham to secret harbors down through to golden bays um, they've been very solid in terms of selling prices and um, very short selling periods this is the time where we start to see the most unscrupulous professionals if i can call it that uh, enter the market and try and sell their wares we're in a time of fomo now and people get desperate they're looking for answers they're looking for assistance to just get into the market and be a part of something. Um, this is where the spruikers get involved, selling property investment services, house and land packages. Uh, how would you advise people to protect against these sort of things? What are the things we should be checking up uh, with regards to our property professional to make sure that they're just not a handball service putting us into something that we could be getting ourselves into? The old buyer beware can never be truer at the moment because um, property prices are rising at a reasonable rate, as you know, and number of properties available on the market are very short. When we're as valuers, we tend to look at the buyer, uh, we look at the contract and whether they're interstate or overseas. That is for us the first test. We would like to think that local West Australians will do their research, they will talk to agents, they will talk to people. There's lots of resources they can refer to in terms of de determining value. I guess the hardest thing now is that sort of the, the follow the leader in terms of getting into the pack and pushing prices up. So you need to be very wary of that. But in many cases, the spruker is a danger for us. That it does is almost sets a two-tier market. That we need to be very mindful of. Given given that vacancies are well below one percent, rents are rising, yields will be growing. Uh, we're an affordable city. 
Perth all of a sudden now is very, very good value for buying for an investor. So I would expect some of the spruikers that um, sit outside this state to be starting to become very active mm. within Perth. That's what I'm concerned about. Yep. When you look at a, someone from Sydney or Melbourne, a mum and dad investor, who a lot of them listen to this show these days, they see Perth like for like with the properties over there and go, wow, that's really good value. And it might be good value at 500 grand, but to them, 580 grand might also sound great because they can't tell the difference and they'll be the person buying it and we're all sitting there scratching our head going, wow, it's never been that price before. But they've been pointed and handballed that property by someone in Melbourne who's also never been to Perth uh, simply to, you know, get paid their commission along the way. So um, I would suggest to anyone listening right now, if you are from the East Coast or even if you are from Western Australia and and you haven't got a great deal of experience in what you're buying, don't just buy it for the sake of it. Make sure that you do visit the property, even in times of COVID, uh, and make sure that you're not also just buying it for future growth or uh, you know some rental yield that's a couple of percent a year. Uh, you're not going to make that much after all costs of interest, insurance and whatnot. The focus should still always be on capital growth because if you're making five to 10 grand a year positively geared in a rental, that's not changing your life. What you should be really focusing on is the fundamentals of demand and supply, where people are looking to be buying, where people are not looking to sell. If you can get into one of those properties, then blue chip suburbs generally are blue chip suburbs for a very long time. Construction prices, that's our next little insight. Things have been going nuts. Uh, Nine months ago, you could uh, build a house for a dollar a brick price rises hadn't happened for years you could bet your bottom dollar that it would be a, a specific price and and the builder would make exactly what they said they're going to build, um, make everyone was happy along the way now it's wild wild west cowboy town brickies are moving left right and center for extra pay they're up at nearly three dollars a brick in some places concreters are really hard to find and get these slabs down even the chippies the plasterers the painters the electricians are all looking for uh, an extra buck which is very much within their right that's the market how the hell as a consumer as a client do we make sure that we're de-risking ourselves here in that construction price uh, space the prices just keep going up is it even worthwhile building anymore mike Trent, we probably uh, touched on before, probably six months ago, you would get very good value for money out of the established housing market. I think a lot of people have probably got to the point where uh, now that the building grants have sort of uh, finished uh, across the country, they may be looking more at the established market, which is happening. So, So that bargain buying in the established market from probably late last year is now diminished in many respects. I think that you can still get reasonable value for money in that sort of established market, fully completed houses, but certainly not as, as much as you probably got six months ago. There's been some great growth. Going to the construction costs, we do so many valuations, uh, what we call to, to be established or construction valuations. So every, every day we analyse building costs and we don't analyse them in a cost per brick um, as such or as QSs do, we don't do the same way. We analyse them in a rate per square metre so as an example, probably last year, a project home, we were analysing around 900 to $1,100 a square metre, give or take, either side. Um, that same product now, we're probably analysing between about thirteen and $1,400 a metre for a single level project style home. In many cases in West Australia, we don't finish them with painting, landscaping, internal fittings in many respects, or floor coverings or window treatments. So in, in many respects, we're probably seeing those building rates increase from our point of view, from an, an analyst's point of view for a valuer, anything from sort of 200 to $300 a square metre. Can we justify that in the market? 
It's a difficult one, but as I said earlier, we use evidence of properties that have sold and we're finding that it's a lot easier to justify it now than it probably did sort of midway through the course of last year. So whilst construction prices have increased, mm. so have the established market prices Correct. and they're probably now caught up or they're getting towards court catching up. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Absolutely. And um, as we know, probably prior to the government grants, there was a whole host of incentives come out mm. through the developers. There's a whole host of building incentives that came out through the builders. Well, that's what's turbocharged always cost increases. Yeah, many respects. It's a new been, normal. Yes, they've been removed from the contracts. And I guess consumers are paying what's term, termed as market value for the land because the incentives have gone out of it. So it's hard not to justify that because that's what people are paying. But yeah. uh, in many respects, uh, once you put the land plus the bill cost on, uh, as much as you're getting a brand spanking new home that you've had a, some input into the, des- the design and the finish, sometimes it's hard to justify that overall cost. But most most young people and most fir- first-time buyers do like that new, brand new home where they move in it for a first time. If you could uh, give your first home buyer children any advice, they had enough money to buy at or around the median house price, mm. what is it going forward that you think will do them best in terms of the property type and the location for where they should be putting their money? Well, I did try that, Trent, but my daughter <laughs> didn't, didn't work out very no, well. <laughs> no, she didn't listen to me. Likewise, I totally understand the fact that if they're going to live in it for a number of years, i.e. 10 years or more, go to a location where you're comfortable, where you, you know, if you're going to have children, they're going to grow up, there's good schools, there's good infrastructure, there's good shopping, there's a safe environment. That's extremely important because most of them are going to live in it for some time. It's not great property investing, but as an owner-occupier... Lifestyle is also important. Correct. I think more people are looking at that rather than what can I sell it for in two years' time. So in that respect, I'm not one to give opinions or advice because you've got to decide where you want to live, close to your family, close to your lifestyle, close to where your kids are going to go to school. So in many respects, but we know traditionally uh, that sort of central ring that surrounds the, the capital city or local cities is always where most of your growth goes in terms of value. So so for um, a first-time investor maybe, what yeah. would it be and where do you think it, it should be? Yeah, look, ideally I always think the land content is the key component of value and that's where you get your growth rather than the improvements. So ideally, and I know you touched on it earlier, there's not a lot of good supply around, so it is a challenge. But if you could get something with some land content... I think that's always a, a great investment. But I know nowadays that sometimes I touched on earlier, younger people buying might need to go into a strata. It might be a 20 to 30-year-old strata. But preferably with some land content, it's always a good thing. Yep. I think there'll be some growth in through the apartment market because particularly the investors, I think, will come in there given that the sort of shortage of supply of that. I think we'll get, see some good growth in the apartment supply, particularly the investor supply, which hasn't been prominent for many many years so I no, think it hasn't that been would, and which no. has led to a characterization of volatility in apartments yes yes it's seen that it's certainly a diminishing value of apartments over the course of potentially the last 10 years in many respects what do you think about somewhere like Balgar or Westminster there's a lot yeah. of land for pretty cheap price within 12 kilometers of the city there is and despite the um, old traditional socio issues with those areas um, from a locational point of view they're outstanding mm. um, they've got so many great factors going from and I think Westminster particularly is is doing very very well and I only only say that because I see the number of valuations we're doing in a place like Westminster and even Balga of those old larger sites that are being carved up into your triplexes particularly 
uh, and putting good product on it. So the whole socio-demographic of that area is changing, much like Willoughby did in the south some years ago, and that is continuing to evolve into a, a real prime suburb. Well, you look at Willoughby, it's one of the front runners in Western Australia right now. In the last six months, we've yep. seen about 20% growth in Willoughby. It's yep. unbelievable. Yep. Yes, I, I, I hasten to say that 25 years ago, I said to my wife, we need to invest in Willoughby, and she grew up around there and said, we're not. <laughs> so uh, like everything, I, I listened to my wife. Mate, we'll leave it at that. I think that's a good lesson for everyone. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot for your time. Mike Valletta from CBRE. Really appreciate some of those more nuanced conversations today, and uh, hopefully everyone's gotten a little bit out of that as well. You have a good week. Thanks, Trent. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!